Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls, a Danganronpa podcast. We are psyched because today we are diving into chapter four of Goodbye Despair, and we're just going to analyze this case, talk about all that it has to offer, and we cannot wait to get going. Just a heads up that this episode will spoil. Chapter four, Goodbye Despair. Without further ado, let's dive in. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Danganronpa Podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. All right, so chapter four, we are out here right now. Um, This is the chapter where... The students get sent into Monokuma's fun house, um, divided into strawberry house and grape house. And uh, Nekomaru is also a robot now, and they find Mekamaru deceased in Grape Tower. And it turns out that it was Gundam this time around, y'all. My name is Gundam Tanaka. Remember it well. <laughs> And I'm just, my heart is broken. This yep. chapter was really rough. I didn't expect it. I was like, they'll keep him around. Nope. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later, but I kind of saw this one coming. But we'll all talk about, about that later. Interesting. Because I actually, Marin, I agree with you. I thought they were going to keep Gundam around because, fun fact, I thought he was the traitor. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like my first note actually ties in really well to the first thing that happens because it's about the title of the chapter, um, Do Ultimate Robots Dream of Clockwork? It is a reference to the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? by Philip K. Dick. Um, And it's really interesting (laughs) because um, in the novel, the android antagonist end up being more human than the human protagonist um and the entire book is kind of a like um it's described as a mirror held up to human action contrasted with culture losing its own humanity um and i think that that goes really well with what we discover first which is nekamaru is now mekamaru and just kind of the themes behind that yeah yeah that that was weird for a lot of reasons because i was pondering like is he is like he dead and it made me kind of think into my afterlife like I'm taking an afterlife class this semester and I was like so is his soul in the robot and but his body is dead I just I I wasn't quite sure what the logistics or the science behind Mekumaru exactly are but he accepts it and for I used to not like that he accepted it because I don't know. I feel like he he moved on too quickly from it, I guess. He he didn't take any time to be like, oh, I'm a robot and really let that sink in like, what that <laughs> means for him in his future. But, you know, I, I realized that he he valued life and he valued like being with his friends a lot, which is a theme that comes up literally later in this chapter. And so I think that I admire him more now for moving on from it, because if he moved on, then the others would move on from his weird body you know yeah I actually had a note about that as well I my note is that Nekomaru is a robot and he seems really okay with it 
like, which is very weird, but um, there's a quote. So at one point, Fuyuhiko says, how are you even okay with that? It doesn't even compare to my eye patch. How can you accept that body? And Nekomaru responds, it's better to just be alive. And I think that's just like an incredible attitude to have. It, and I think it really contrasts with Fuyuhiko, who's like, oh, like, Peko saved my life, but my life is like small. It doesn't even matter and blah, blah, blah. Versus Nekomaru being like, hell yeah, I'm still alive and I'm a robot, but it's cool. I can keep helping my friends. I feel like Nekomaru is the kind of person, like, if he got into a car crash and, like, lost his legs or, like, became paralyzed, he he would just bounce back, you know, and be like, I'm just glad I'm alive. Like, that's all I care about. And um, I feel like it's kind of analogous to what happened here. But I also had a note about, at one point, he says, like, who cares that I'm a robot now? It's not like I came back as a monster. And Chiaki responds, I don't really see the difference. And I was like, oof. I, I also, now that that reminded me of a parallel of the first and second game where Sakura is objectively out of the cast of characters, the most atypical in build. I think that that is true. And they call her the ogre, which is so sad. And her statue is in Grape House. Yes. As sort of like, in a monstrous way though, she has a monstrous name on, on the plaque. And now Nekomaru is a monster by the way he looks and that that's a really interesting connection it also reminded me a little bit of uh you know mary shelley's frankenstein yeah. um and the theme <laughs> you saw that one coming from a while away <laughs> i love that novel um and and yeah like like whether it the monster is is frankenstein's monster or whether the monster is the man who created him um aka monokuma which we know monokuma is the real monster here <laughs> but I guess it could even be bigger than that. Like Monokuma created the monster that is this game itself. And so who is at fault? You know, the people who are thrown into the situation or the, the you know, and I, this is, we've talked this into the ground, but <laughs> like that, that's another thing to ponder. Like on a bigger scale, he, you know, created the game, you know, anyway, this monstrous looking game which is monsters it's very terrible (laughs) saying let's debate whether the game sucks or not (laughs) i actually have literally a note written here that says will caroline bring up frankenstein probably (laughs) (laughs) um okay so i actually kind of wanted to talk with you guys and like hear your thoughts on whether or not you think that nekomaru is still alive um because that is something that i really kind of struggled with and i have notes on both sides here so like um i can just run through a couple of them before like letting you guys go to them um but for one thing this whole chapter and really the themes behind the robotics really reminded me of westworld which i know i have referenced in previous podcast episodes like infinite times caroline probably has a note that says will Marin reference westworld probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i just it's the idea of like what makes a human a human you know if it if it walks like a duck if it talks like a duck it's probably a duck you know like so anyways I just, Nekomaru doesn't seem to think that he's alive because he says some quotes in here that are very interesting. Um, Akane apologizes for getting him shot um, with a bazooka and he says, don't worry about it. A lot of stuff happens when you're alive, which means he's no longer alive, right? Mm. He describes himself as leftovers, implying that he's not as much as a, like of a human, 
as everyone else. Oh, um, I guess these are more quotes from other people, um, but Gundam at one point says, he probably wants to live like other humans as much as he can, such as the sad nature of robotic organizations. Um, and it's just like, I, I don't know, it's very interesting because on the other side, there are the laws of robotics, which if you don't know, are that a robot can't injure a human being um, or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. They have to obey orders given to it by human beating, beings, except where those orders would conflict with that first law. And then they have to protect their own existence as long as that doesn't conflict with the first or second laws. So basically, don't harm a human, take orders from humans, keep yourself alive unless it involves harming a human. And he does like try to harm a human. I, we find that out. And so like in that regard, he broke the laws of robotics. He's not a robot. And also, lastly, I know I'm throwing a lot out right now, but he, if he is not alive, if he has lost his life in that first bazooka hit, why do we mourn his death? Like, why is this second death so sad? I will say that I think, at least for me and a lot of the characters in the game, that we were mourning him, like, as soon as we found out that he was a robot. Like, before Case 4 murder even happened. Um, that's that's just my opinion. But, Marin, I, I love, love, love this um, discussion point that you bring up so much. It's just so fascinating to me. Especially, like, um, thinking about it in, like, a brain way. Like, let's say Monokuma transplanted Nekomaru's brain into this robot body um you know is he and he has his entire brain his entire consciousness and his mind is still alive but like his body is completely artificial now like is he still nekomaru like you know and we could go on about oh okay are we our bodies or are we our brains or are we like you know and and just oh man it's such a conflict and it also makes me think a lot of the it's another video game and it is called Soma. Yes! Sorry, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Marin's note, will Maddie reference Soma in this episode? <laughs> oh my god. Um, <laughs> um, no, there's a, there's an even more iconic reference coming later in this um, chapter, by the way. But um, the game, the video game Soma, it's very cool. I highly recommend it, but it is a horror game. It's very scary, so just a warning there. But it is like a horror game that's also, it gets really philosophical. It's about robots and artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence that has gone wrong and is like hijacking into like people's minds and like this futuristic world where they can upload their minds into the web and like um, do that thing. And then, then like robots start messing with the minds that are uploaded in, into the web. And it's like scary, but it also just it makes you think about like, well, okay, let's say I duplicate my consciousness and I put it into something else artificial. Like if I take my brain and I download it into an Android or a robot or something, is that robot me now? Or is it just an echo of me? You know what I mean? And that's a huge theme of that game. And it's so good. And it's just, oh my God, the ending of that game, you guys, holy moly. So yeah, I was literally going to say this. Um, I think it all breaks down to like, do you like believe in the immortality of the soul? Where do you believe the soul goes after death? And so the way I I view Nekomaru to answer your question, Marin, is his soul 
he there is no other Nekumaro that exists. It is this Nekumaro. Like there's like it's not like Maddie was saying how there's the real Nekumaru in the body. And then there's also a, a robot Nekumaru. It's, this is the only version. And so his soul is in this robot. I think that he is the same essence of himself. Like on the inside, he's the same person. You know, like he, he's gone through the getting shot with a bazooka. You know, he's the same guy. Loves Akane, cares about his friends. But the robot exterior is the thing that it's like imposed upon him by the people who view him does that make sense like he views himself obviously but like this idea that he's a robot is formulated by those who view him i just wanted to you just made me think of another thing in soma another mind trippy thing about that game that makes it so creepy is that you meet robots who think that they are people they don't realize that they are people's minds uploaded into robots bodies they think that they're still flesh and blood and it's like so creepy and it just you just made me think of that i'm sorry (laughs) And then to bounce back to Maddie, who said, you mourned Nekamaru bef- once he became a robot. That I really agree with because going off of this, I knew as soon as the body clock was introduced that he was going to be the one to die because there were so so many rules. He w- it would explain it. I was like, this is like, I know that he's going to be the one. And so I was just waiting that ticking clock literally to count down to the moment he died. I think for me... Um... And I kind of referenced this in our tier list episode. Um, but I think for me, it I think he died when he was shot with that first bazooka. Um, and I know that, you know, uh, some people might disagree with me and that's totally fine. That's very valid. But he was not the same Nekomaru to me as the one pre-bazooka because the one pre-getting shot was like, Akane, I'm disappointed in you. Like, I need you to improve. You're not acting like in a way that will improve you. Whereas post getting shot, uh, Mekomaru was like, oh, I like, everyone's doing great. Akane, don't worry about it. Yeah, I got shot, but who cares? Whereas if it had been Nekomaru, in my opinion, he would have reprimanded her and it coached her to improve. And so I saw significant personality changes that led me to not feel like it was the same. It reminded me of just like a copy of Nekomaru where they didn't get all the details right. That also reminds me of another thing, which is that one episode of Black Mirror where it's like, yeah, my you're... favorite, the gay one. Yes. yes. No, 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 oh, no, no, not the gay one, but also no. that. But the, another episode <laughs> of Black Mirror where if your loved ones die, you can pay an absurd amount of money to bring them back as like a an artificial intelligence or like an android that looks exactly like them. But every time they come back, they're not quite right. You know what I mean? Yes, I know the episode you're talking about. I'll add the very first line, maybe the second line in this chapter is Hajime saying, it would have been fine if things had progressed like that, like your dead friend suddenly reappearing, not this unreasonable turn of events, which means that their dead friend did not reappear, meaning they found differences in this person as well and so like I think you could take it different ways I think you could say like oh they're being hard like maybe harsh about appearance and that's the only way they're taking it this isn't our friend because he looks different and I think that is a very interesting way to take it because it's very negative or you could take it kind of the way we've been discussing that it's not the same person it's not a person it's a robot (laughs) and then it's like yeah I don't know I have one last note about uh, like on the 
in kind of the same vein as like talking about Nekomaru and how he's now a robot is that what I found that was so interesting when I was replaying this scene was that during the whole exchange at the very beginning of this chapter, when everyone's like freaking out, trying to process Nekomaru's transformation, Gundam is the only character who never speaks in that scene. And I think that's really interesting considering that Gundam later kills Nekomaru. So it, it is interesting. And I, I, I there is this um, Tumblr blog that did a post of a Gundam character analysis that I read. And I am going to find the link and link it below because this person deserves credit because these are not my ideas. This is this person's research. Um, so they'll be linked below. I think it's something Mochi. I can't remember the name. But they wrote up this whole thing about Gundam's backstory that they pulled from analyzing their um, Gundam's free time events, like what you find out about him in the riddles in which he speaks. And they came to the conclusion that based on his quotes, and it was something about how he said his mother was an angel and his father was a demon. Um, but it's implied that his dad wasn't really in his life and that his mom struggled to raise him. And so he, you know, he was an outcast because of a lot of this stuff. And, and that was kind of why he turned to animals to like comfort himself. And so I think he understands what Nekomaru is going through. I think that might be why he's not saying anything is because he's like, Oh, I get, I, I get it. I've been the person who people have thought are, is weird. I think in a different vein, I really like that explanation. Um, I think in, if you look at it a different way, he could have thought that Nekomaru wasn't a person. Um, and they didn't say that they didn't have him come out and say that so that his actions later would be a little bit less explainable you know like is it that he didn't see Nekomaru as a human and so why treat him like one that sounds so bad but like that could explain away some of Gundam's actions or it could be exactly as you said he understood him he respected him as a foe and you know took him on because of that he saw an equal in himself which I assume we'll get to a little bit later yeah, because at one point, Monokuma says, hey, y'all, like, you know, Nekomaru might be invincible now, but, like, if you kill him, it still counts as murder. And, like, the fact that Monokuma has to say that also lends some ambiguity to whether or not Nekomaru is a person. But, like, I, I can't help but think that that might be what was going through Gundam's head uh, versus, uh, uh, like, as far as, like, I don't know if this is actually Nekomaru. I don't think this is, I don't think know if this is actually a human being you know, and maybe that made Gundam feel more justified in what he later did. All right, I have a note from before we start investigating the new island. So it's kind of an overall theme that I found throughout this chapter. Um, I wrote down, this entire chapter is legitimately among us, the game, um, because in this game, <laughs> right, um, specifically the, like, Mira HQ map of Among Us, but <laughs> there are two towers that you can only access from certain points, and the theme of a traitor amongst them is more prominent than it has ever been in this game, um, and um, Nagito says, what we should be most concerned about is the traitor, and then when he's, like, accusing Hajime and, like, getting everyone to kind of gang up on him, he says, you shouldn't raise your voice like that. We might become even more suspicious of you, you know? And it's just, like, these themes, like, lines left and right about how not to be suspected. <laughs> and Among <laughs> Us is a super popular game, and I just, like, I couldn't not write it down. I was like, wow, this, yeah, there's a big reason why Danganronpa fans love Among Us. 
how to not be sus. I just have a small fun fact, actually, that I forgot. Um, so Monokumas talks about, and I forget the context, but he talks about how he is the, quote, psychopop magician. And I just wanted to give a shout out to the creators of this game. Psychopop is the style in which this game is created. That is what the creators call the style of Danganronpa, psychopop, because they decided that, you know, in the beta versions of this game, which we've talked about in the past, it was much more gruesome, much more, like, dark and terrible and and the pop part was added to make it more accessible to popular more popular among more people because i wouldn't be here if it was the beta version of the game but i'm here now because it's psycho pop you know the blood is pink (laughs) so it's fine (laughs) no but yeah just a little fun tidbit for y'all nice um i have another small note um this is just me criticizing the the characters in this game right now is that when monokuma talks about the new island that's there it's just the characters it's literally like this is how that exchange went monokuma says hey guys there's a new island and everyone is like no 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 we are not going there like this is bs it's just another ploy to get us to kill each other there's no way we'll do what you want and then Monokuma's like, but I have treats for you. I have some special surprises there. And everyone is like, oh, bet, let's go. And then goes to the island and goes into the fun house <laughs> and for the fourth time falls for Monokuma's tricks. And I'm just like, why? Guys, oh no. <laughs> why? I have treats for you. <laughs> Literally, also the the like train to the fun house thing. The first thing Hajime says when he sees it is, I will never ride that thing as long as I live. Cut to five minutes later in the game, and they're all (laughs) riding the train. Like, are you serious? (laughs) I was screaming at my computer. I really only have one note from, like, the exploration portion of this, and it's at Nizumi Castle. And I don't know if Nizumi itself is a word that means something that like is a reference but apparently the entire island is based off of disneyland i didn't really recognize that the first time through like it's a small world is in there space mountain yeah it's a mouse themed castle i was gonna just say nizumi is japanese for rat (laughs) oh (laughs) there we go there we go it's not too deep (laughs) it is just the rodent So would that mean instead of Mickey Mouse, it's like Ricky Rat? Like off-brand Disney. I quit. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting because, oh my God. Okay, so I was going to talk about like fun house history, like of what fun houses are in carnivals and stuff. But one of my major things from my research of fun homes, (laughs) fun homes. Oh, that's a musical. Fun home. Love that show. Okay. Shout out to Fun Home. Anyway, um, <laughs> one of my things that I found in my research of fun houses is that it is something that is very American in origin. That's just like the, it originated in Coney Island. And now that you're saying like this is based off Disneyland, like that is another very like quote American thing that that it's just very interesting. And I, I almost... It also plays into like Gundam's Chunibyu, what I've talked about in the first episode a, a little bit, how he is the Chunibyu trope, which is basically when somebody who is older thinks that they possess magical powers or actually possess magical powers. It depends on which version of anime you ingest. <laughs> but um, <laughs> everything in this this whole chapter is very like childish in a way that almost nudges 
at that trope within Gundam himself, which I thought was kind of cool. Very true. Uh, I there's like this weird theme I think of entertainment happening throughout this whole game. Like in chapter one, I mean the when their murder happens, they're having a party. In chapter two, there's a video game. The motive that's the motive is a video game. In chapter three, the motive is a movie that Monokuma made. And then now in chapter four, we're in an amusement park. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And even in chapter three, there's like the rock concert. Um, you know, it happens yeah. in yeah. a music venue. Yeah. Well, so I just want to make sure this quote gets said because it's that important, even though it's not very deep. Um, Gundam says that uh, they need the blood of a virgin to get into the music parts and amusement parks in hell. And Sonia responds with that her blood would not work. And I just want to like bless all everything yes. for that because I love <laughs> love that moment. And I remember it from the first time I played. That's how much it, I just it hit my soul. I have two more notes about the island before we get into the the actual fun home the fun home (laughs) the home of fun okay the first note is that the the haunted house which i guess is supposed to be monami's house i don't even know um has a sign on the door that says sleep teamy and um the the like tamagotchi pets that you have in this game are all called something like piggy me or like snakey me and the sign on monami's door says me which apparently is a poop pet that you can get as your little tamagotchi person <laughs> and i thought that was so funny <laughs> tag yourself i'm a snakey me i'm a me <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then my last note before Fun Home, y'all, is the most iconic reference ever. Holy moly. I missed this when I played through the game the first time. And the second time, I was screaming when they're talking about the clock in Nekomaru's chest and how it's like, it's so perfect because it's a radio clock and it syncs up to everything else and it can never be wrong. Nekomaru says, I've become a time lord. And that is a Doctor Who reference. And I (laughs) screamed because I was like, oh my god. A, Doctor Who exists in the Danganronpa universe. And B, Nekomaru watches Doctor Who, which was the show that I was obsessed with for years growing up. Oh my god, Doctor Who is my jam. And I just, that that was a very special moment to me. (laughs) Marin and I can confirm that (laughs) (laughs) we can attest to that are we in the fun home i think we are in the fun home i think we're in the fun home home. okay wait i also (laughs) want to reference because this is like likely unrelated because the fun home musical came out in 2015 and Rumpa likely never heard of this weird obscure musical um but highly recommend to our listeners check it out but fun home in the musical stands for funeral home which I think is very interesting in reference to this uh, this ha- fun home in this game. So this motive is the toughest motive I have like to deal with so far. I've had to deal with so far um, because a time limit to me immediately takes all of the blame off of anyone participating. And also the lack of clocks 
So there are only two clocks in these two buildings. And as we see later, they can be changed. So there is no real accurate view of what time is currently occurring. Um, and that like time distortion, it's called temporal disorientation is like the technical term for it. And that is legally thought of as torture, like taking yes. away people's ability to tell time. And they do that in um, solitary confinement. And it's just, it's horrible. And so like, I think it's, I, yeah. So anyways, I guess I just, I'd love to hear from our listeners. If any of you think that there is still blame on these kids in this chapter, like coming from the person who puts blame on them so much, I would love to hear it, please. I also want to just, this is the first motive so far that I've seen that it, it like threatens basic human needs. And that's exactly why I totally 100% agree with you, Marin. And I have a note here that says, hmm, I wonder what Marin's going to say. Because I was like, yeah, like, I, you know. Can you imagine if I came into this chapter and I was like, they should have starved. 60-40 on the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Try 90-10. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I have a note about this, and it is that um, I think, to me, chapter four of this game is, to me, what chapter three was to Caroline. This chapter, like, gets to me. It freaks me out. It's, like, really unnerving playing through this um, chapter. Like, I, I think it's something about, I mean, A the lack of food. I'm like, call me Akane. I love food. And I'm also hypoglycemic. So if I was in this situation, I go like a little while shorter than most without eating and I'm toast. I'm also claustrophobic. So like the idea of being trapped in this place and like not being able to physically get out. I mean, that's just so like, that's scary to me. Like that's so scary. And I, yes, I agree with you completely, Marin. Like that is the time thing and like trapping them in there that's like that's psychological torture literally um and it's also physical torture because monokuma is literally starving them and so um i mean in my opinion this is the most justified murder that we have seen in danganronpa yet yeah i agree with you and i i also wanted to say that i think that out of the three of us the person who would be the most affected by this motive would be me because whenever we film two episodes in a row, I always get like a little hangry at the end of the, of the second episode. And Aaron and Maddie know exactly what I'm talking about. I get very impatient and I'm like, I need to eat something very badly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I wouldn't be able to murder anyone because I would run out of energy by the time I like realized I was like really screwed because like my blood sugar would get so low and then I would like not be able to walk. So the next note that I have is when Fuyuhiko decides to go off with Akane, he chooses her as like a partner and they go and you see their conversation in the standard room. And I was just curious if you guys thought that he nailed it and he was right or if he was simply projecting his own feelings onto her. Because personally, I think that he was projecting um, because I think that Akane is very sad about Nekomar's death. I think, you know, we see um, how she grieves and her grief is mostly in the form of anger. 
like Akane says some things after like oh like I never really got to thank him but I think like what we see from Fuyuhiko in the third chapter it's very different and so him kind of like coaching Akane through her grief it felt a little odd to me like it felt kind of like this is what I felt so I know it's what you're feeling yeah I mean that's that's a good question I can I can see it going either way I think that um you could read into it and be like, oh, well, Akane isn't, just isn't expressing that, like, Fuyuhiko is absolutely hitting the nail on the head, and, like, she just doesn't want to be honest about that, but, like, Fuyuhiko knows what's going on. Or you could be like, Akane actually has no idea what he's talking about, and it's going right over her head because she doesn't think about emotions. Like, she doesn't do that, really. It's not her thing, and so I could really see it going either way. But I thought, I, I thought that was so cute, though, how Fuyuhiko was, like, making himself vulnerable and, like, trying to help her out and, like, have a heart-to-heart. And she didn't really reciprocate in that regard. But, like, <laughs> I thought it was really cute. I I, I love Fuyuhiko. Um, I have another note from when they're, like, paired off. And it's that Nekomaru, when they're in the deluxe room just looking around, he says, as long as I'm here, I will not tolerate any more victims. I won't allow it, which is exactly what um, Byakuya says in chapter one. And I was like, maybe we should stop saying this, guys. Like, <laughs> seems to be a death bad omen or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So we talk to Kazuichi, and this is when we're first kind of pairing off, and Kazuichi doesn't want to go with us because he's very suspicious of us once Nagito implies that we could be the traitor. And he says, he says, like, I'm sorry, Hajime, but it's never going to be zero, implying that his suspicion will never be zero of him, which again, was an Among Us reference in my head. But also, (laughs) it really reminded me, this is kind of random, but it reminded me of that meme where it says, it's like a horse in a stairwell. And it says the odds of you getting trampled to death by a horse in a stairwell are low, but never zero. I've seen I've seen variations on that meme. I've seen a tweet that's like the odds of you getting murdered by Shia LaBeouf are low but never zero. (laughs) Stuff like that. Normal Tuesday night for Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so the Monokuma Morse code in the Monokuma theater. It says, be sure to drink your kumatine, um, which is a reference to be sure to drink your ovaltine, which is from a Christmas story. And it's basically the idea, like the main character in a Christmas story hears that over the radio and he like frantically tries to figure out what it means. And it's literally a commercial. It's a radio commercial, not a secret message. And I just think it's kind of funny that Monokuma is like, I'm going to get all these listeners to frantically decode this message and only get to a reference about nothing. Like, he yeah. sure got you, Marin. <laughs> he got me. <laughs> no. <laughs> may I talk about my Tai Chi note? You may. Monokuma. So I don't know if this is before Tai Chi or like during but he brings up that oh we're starting to brag about how unhealthy we are so i that is a real comment buddy that is a nudge at our society because we love to be like oh my god i got three hours of sleep last night because i studied for this test with my entire life and soul oh my god like I like I didn't have time to like eat lunch all day today and I haven't eaten since I woke up this morning like it it, the our culture is so obsessed with like 
streamlining success and like goals that we forget to like sustain ourselves. And a lot of this chapter feels like a commentary on that. Like that comment, literally, like we all brag about how unhealthy we are, whether we like it or not. I think we all are guilty of that. And boy, how did I go? Wow, buddy. Boy, howdy. I, yes, literally. I actually, in one of my psychology classes, we read a really, really interesting study and like an article about um, how like stress has become like a status symbol. It's like people will compete about like, oh, I'm more stressed than you or like, oh, I'm busier. Like, oh, I slept less than you. And it's like a competition now because the more stress you are, it's seen as like, it's like a hot, it's like a status symbol now. And it's like, that's not good. Um, I don't like that that's a thing. Um, I think that we should, it's like, because the, the study was so interesting. It was showing that people are judgmental of people who are like, oh yeah, I get eight hours of sleep. Oh yeah, I'm not too busy. Like, oh yeah, I'm not very stressed. Like the study was basically showing that people think less of people like that. Okay. So one thing I want to comment on is the way that the animators and the artists who created this game were very smart about how they used the hunger of Hajime to affect our movement speed. So that was one thing I noticed is that we moved slower when we were hungrier. Yeah. And the text moved slower in the text box. So it just, oh man, that really, that was trippy. Yes. Um, well, kind of springboarding off that idea, when like they first kind of got to the fun house and realized that they had no food, I think that the choice to make the walls literally dance with food was so smart. Yeah. Yeah, my next note is uh, is Russian roulette. We didn't discuss that because holy cow. Yeah. Did any, okay, am I the only one who thought, who actually thought that Nagito was going to die the first time I played this? Oh, I, I, I totally was nervous about it. I had no idea what was going to happen. What? I didn't think he was going to die. Well, I think that, the thing is, is like that was a moment that the game made a defining decision, which is a point that I, I wrote down to talk about is that his luck is literally a superpower. Yeah. Yes. And I, ha- I got some stuff to say about that, too. I was going to say, though, for me, it has a lot to do with um, his change in attitude and his change in behavior post, um, post final bedroom, because Hajime notices it. Everyone notices it that Nagito like turns into a complete asshole to everyone and he goes from he does this 180 of being like I'm beneath you like all you ultimates I admire you so much to being like y'all are beneath me I'm way better than like he does this complete 180 in his attitude and he becomes like arrogant as hell and um I think it has a lot to do with the fact that he finally sees himself as an ultimate because his luck actually was ultimate luck in that moment. It, it won. It was like for him, I think he went into it with the mentality of like, either my ultimate luck holds out with this five bullet Russian roulette thing and I prove myself that I'm worthy or I die because I'm not worthy of being an ultimate. And I think he sees himself as worthy now. I kind of agree and I kind of don't there are some points that I have a slight kind of adjustment to you said he won 80s because he kind of like sees himself as an ultimate now versus someone who was just brought in with you know ultimate lucky student I would say it was more 90 
two sets of 90s because he starts to gain confidence before the death game um like he when they're at the roller coaster for the first time he says can i see that file whereas any other time he would have been like i'm not worthy to hold the file haji may read it aloud and he <laughs> he leads a group at the house before the body is found maybe nagito actually just can't read and that's why he wants Hachime to read it. Yeah. <laughs> that sign can't hurt me because I can't read. Nagito doesn't know how to read and Hajime doesn't know basic geometry. So there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mary. Continue. No, on you're good. Damn but I, I think the change started before they, they got locked in and before the body was found. Because I think for Nagito... He's been saying this whole time, these murders are causing hope. Everyone's, you know, triple, quadruple back flipping off of this high dive and like, (laughs) you know, just gaining more on the ladder of hope. But like, (laughs) at this point, he's been rooting for the higher hope. And every time so far, it's been the kids who are trying to escape. And yet they haven't escaped. And every chapter, it feels they get further and further from it. And so for him... I almost see it as a little bit of the Taka transformation that we see in Trigger Happy Havoc when Mm. he kind of starts to go against his core personality and implodes a little bit because I think this is Nagito seeing he's supported the bigger hope every time and yet it's not enough. It hasn't been enough. That traitor is still there, um, he assumes. Or, you know, like in this in this case, someone else gets murdered. And like, I don't know, I think it is half that he sees himself as equal or above, and it is half that he's getting tired. So related to this, I was starting to see some similarities of Nagito being a very twisted version of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying this in a way to be sacrilegious. Like this is, it's like a trope of the Antichrist. So I kind of viewed him as this. He really has this idea of wanting to sacrifice himself for the others even if it's in a way that he deems fit um which i really thought was very very interesting in this chapter though he does take that back he He takes it back his his quote though i his quote that happens in this chapter that was like damn i was like what um is he says there was a time when i thought i could become a stepping stone for your hopes but i will sincerely retract that remark and i was like oh man nagito he changed in his mind. He's like, JK, I actually want to live. He actually says that too, doesn't he? At one point he says like, I, I actually feel like I want to live now. Depending on, again, whether you believe if Jesus was man or God, this is again, a religious thing. So I won't talk about that. But Jesus Christ Superstar has this whole song called Gethsemane, which is a version of Jesus that sort of questions and doubts and wants to be alive, doesn't want to sacrifice himself jesus says like take this cup away from me if it be your will or something like that i'm not quoting directly again i can link passages below if we're interested if you have a question you can always reach out um but yeah and it's implied there that he's sort of he is afraid to die some parallels there again antichrist nagato is not jesus (laughs) that straight i'm not comparing them at all um, but they both do also stand for a kind of hope 
for a group of people. Nagito, it's like self-proclaimed and in a way that's very dark and twisted, but you know, Jesus, again, depending on what you believe, provided hope for a lot of people and provides hope for a lot of people to this day. So, yeah. I think it's hard to take characters who represent such big concepts such as hope or love or trust or sacrifice and not compare them to other people in time, whether you believe they're religious or not. And, you know, be like, oh, well, no, like they, those can't be compared. Like, yeah, they can. And they are to this day. And so like, yeah, I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just taking, using it as a tool to kind of deconstruct this character and compare it to what we already kind of know. Yeah. One thing that really struck me during the kind of Russian roulette game is at the very end and at the end of the escape room, um, which by the way, reminds me a whole lot of nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. It's a direct reference to that game. Yes. Monami at the end of Russian roulette says, Nagito, I'm scared of you. And that is maybe the only time in this entire game that we've seen where monami is serious like yeah that's so real like can you name another quote where she's not like i'm usami like i drink milk or whatever she (laughs) says (laughs) yeah like it, it was so serious and dark and i was like I don't know. It just, it it felt, it made the whole scene feel darker because I was scared of him too. Like in that moment. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a person with so much power. We're going to take a quick break, but before we go, we want to hear from you about your thoughts on chapter four of Danganronpa Goodbye Despair. Let us know at one of our social medias. We are everywhere. Ultra Hope Girls, please contact us. We love to hear from you. If you're interested in even more content about chapter four, please join our Patreon for just $2 per month. You get access to extra episodes that feature ton of things about Danganronpa that you know we weren't able to feature in these episodes but um yeah we hope you check it out and we will be right back after this this episode is brought to you by Shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey listeners, just going into the second half of this episode, we wanted to give you a heads up that we will be talking about themes of suicide. If you would rather skip over this half, join us for the last five minutes for our classic bedwed behead. But yeah, just wanted to give you that content warning. And now on to the episode. Okay, the next thing I have then is we find out that Hajime has no talent. Yay! We are quirkless, babies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. This was such a sad realization. Like, I, I was know. expecting a Kyoko Kirikiri, I'm the ultimate detective, but no, no, <laughs> I'm nothing. <laughs> the not ultimate nothing, reserve like, student. Uh, the ultimate reserve course student, that's what he is. I was just going to say an interesting thing to note, too, how Nagito kind of delivers this news to Hajime is he sort of has the attitude that 
talent is something that is naturally gifted. You can't earn it, which is so bad and wrong, but it's like, yeah. I was, can I wait? I was going to say, Maddie, it reminds me so much of your second Ultimate Psych episode, which listeners, if you would like to hear what that is about, please become a patron. Um, It is a minimum of $2 per month and you get to hear really cool content like what Maddie created. And it is so good. I literally, it, I lost my socks during it. Thanks. Aw. I, I was going to, is this one the taco one? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's about taco. If you, if it, listeners are, are wanting oh. to know any taco fans out there. Yeah. There? No, but Caroline, I was going to say, um, about what you were saying about the the Nagito seeing talent as either innate, like as like innate, either you have it or you don't, you're born born this way. Um, <laughs> that goes back to like his whole monologue at the very beginning of chapter two, where he's like talking to himself and it's like the opener of chapter two. And he's like, some people are worth, born worthy in this world and some people aren't. And the ones who don't have talent are worthless trash. And you're listening and you're like, wow that's a little harsh like <laughs> um but yeah he has this kind of like deterministic attitude towards talent i mean next thing i have is sort of just like before trial okay i only have one note before and it's that so nagito talks about how his favorite novel is one where a girl like is investigating the crime of a serial serial killer and then it turns out that she's the serial killer herself um, you know, could be a reference to Toko, but that's not what I'm going to talk about, actually. <laughs> I am going to talk about a little old Agatha Christie novel. Spoiler alert for, well, you probably already know the spoiler based on what I just said, but it's fine. <laughs> it's a 1929, like, old book, but it's called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, and it is one of the first novels to ever pull that, and I just want to give her a shout out for that. Um, yes. For y'all. Can we get her on this podcast? Well, I have yeah. some sad news for you. Um, she is deceased. Oh, man. So the first thing I have is just kind of the dynamic between Sonia and Kazuichi and Sonia and Gundam throughout this trial. Um, because there's, there is one point in this trial where Sonia's like, it's Kazuichi. And Hajime like proves it wrong. And she's like, oh, man. Like she, she's upset that it's not him, and we are all Sonia on this blessed day. Oh god! So, oh my god, Sonia's such a savage in that moment. She is. Oh. Wait, there's another moment where Sonia says, "Like, she's like silence, pest." To Kazuichi, yeah. she says it like twice, but then one there's one time where Kazuichi responds, "Don't be so cold." what if I start to enjoy it? And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like Toko and Byakuya was so much worse. I was going to say, there are a lot of similarities between Toko and Byakuya and Soda and Sonia. Your beauty is beyond compare With golden locks and skin so fair yeah i mean i think it's very very different yeah 
in a lot of ways if you break it down but i mean yes <laughs> i was just reminded of something very random but did you guys know that a lot of people ship ibuki and nikon and they call the ship yeah. band-aid band-aid yes i could yes. I, I could i could vibe with that yeah i would vibe with it solely for the name my first trial note is um that fuyuhiko is baby gangsta and mm-hmm. i'm obsessed <laughs> And I also wanted to give a shout out again to Akane's instincts because like, uh, once again, she's like, I'm going to go with my gut. And she, there are moments when she is like, I think at this point, Akane is like, it's canon that she's like a little bit psychic, right? Cause she's like, I just know Nakamura was killed by that pillar. Like I just have a gut feeling and she's right. Like her gut feelings are literally never wrong. So shout out to our, our favorite werewolf. I had a, a sort of, question to post to the group a little bit so nagito says something about how this murder wasn't for the sake of hope and i want to unpack that because i have a feeling he knew it was gundam from the very beginning like i think he, he did knew, too like from the, the whole time i think and so why does he think that this murder isn't for the sake of hope why does he say that i think it could be argued gundam's murder could be argued one of two ways one he wanted to murder so that he could live eat be gone from the island and the second way would be he wanted to sacrifice himself as a way to get everyone else to eat live be happy whatever um (laughs) whatever (laughs) i made that sound so casual um and i think that those two i personally think it's the latter and I'll, i'll we can talk about that in a second but um the question is why is that not filled with hope while most every action has some sort of hope because it's like you know you hope it happens or you hope this goes right there's a difference between that kind of hope and the hope that nagito wants where it's moving everyone forward grief propels you on but in this way it's like well like you know like he did it because we had to he did it because there was a time limit and we were dying like it, it felt lesser i think to him I was going to say that I was going to, I was going to say that it might be because this was a very much more like more so coerced murder. Like they were starved into it and like they had to do something or they would have all starved to death. And that's kind of what it came down to. And so I think it's less of a personal motive um, maybe. And maybe that's why Nagito sees it that way, but it's kind of interesting because like I, for me, it's interesting to think about like, what hope actually is to Nagito because it's like he has expressed that he is willing to cooperate with murderers and like commit murder and like be murdered for the sake of hope so it's like if you are good like what if Nagito thought that like everyone starving to death was hope you know like how is that hope like I feel like for Nagito it comes down so much to like what people want and like my own hope is like if i'm pursuing what i want it's my hope and that's good but what if my hope is to hurt other people so i think that there are some similarities with how the antagonists develop in their character obviously it goes in in some different directions because they're both different people but biakia in the fourth case of the first game didn't understand what was going on because he didn't understand that someone would literally sacrifice themselves for for another person like that is just something he had not thought uh, logically you know didn't work like coordinate in his brain um whereas nagito i think that gundam 
and Nekumaru because I do believe that it was a, a two-way street with this whole thing and them fighting and all that. And again, we're going to get to that. But I think that he, and I also think that this is proof in a way that that's what was going on between the two of them in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that he he can't wrap his head around the fact that like Gundam didn't have a hope to leave this island with this murder. You know, he didn't have a hope for himself, if that makes sense. He had yeah. hope for other people. Whereas maybe for, for Nagito, and I think I've, I mentioned this, pa- maybe I've mentioned this in the past, but with Nagito, hope is something that is like a, a selfish thing. Like, and that's not a bad thing. It's like mm. a hope that is, that is for you. But there's also hope for others and for a better society and for a community that I don't think that he thinks of as much. And that's, again, you know, yeah. So I kind of want to talk about, if you guys don't mind, I want to talk about the themes of chapter four in Trigger Happy Havoc to Goodbye Despair. Because Nagito says in this chapter, you know, we find the textbook that discusses pretty much everything that happens in Trigger Happy Havoc. Um, I mean, obviously slim down. And then um, we see, or he he tells us that the, there are themes between the cases that happened then and the cases that happen now. And the theme that he said for this case was suicide, not sacrifice. And so I think it's an interesting thought because he said that and I thought about it and I'm not convinced that Gundam killed Nekomaru because Nekomaru is the one who ripped the handle off. Like he was the one who jostled the handle so much that it was loose, which Gundam had no way of knowing because he didn't want the handle to fall off, right? Because that is part of what got him. And then the other thing is the fact that Nekomaru shakes when he wakes up, that's not an every person thing. The fact that he woke up and shook himself off of a handle is in a way him. Like, I'm not convinced that Gundam is a murderer here. Yes, he hung him up from a tall tower. Okay, I get it. But, like, there is a way to not die from that. Like, he shook himself off of a handle that he himself loosened. Yes, he was put there by someone else, but implying that there was no way out of that, I think is probably incorrect considering how many functions Nekomaru had as a robot. Um, And so that was an interesting thing for me to think about. I was like, huh, maybe that's where that theme is there. And then why did Gundam get punished for it if he wasn't the, like the murderer that, that really kind of shook me because maybe, maybe he was hoping that he wouldn't get charged with a penalty like maybe he was hoping that they would have come to the conclusion that it was Nekomaru and a robot, not a human, fell apart, I'll say, and they all got to move on. Okay, my only, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I do think like, especially the part about Nekomaru like wiggling. I was like, <laughs> Alex, like a also, we don't know. Like he might have been like, oh, bleep. What's, oh, <laughs> <laughs> So he, he, you know, because he might have been like, oh, man, like, what's going on? And like turned around and then he fell. Like, who knows how loose these these puppies are. But um, the jiggling of the handle thing, I mean, that like, I think that was kind of a weird coincidence, if I'm being honest, because like Gundam had no idea that that was a thing that happened. He wasn't there. Nekumaru 
didn't know he was going to be faced challenged with Gundam and he didn't know how Gundam was going to perform anything because he didn't know the structure of the tower you know and so like I true but that's almost my point that Gundam didn't know the handle was broken so how can you blame Gundam for that and if you like turn around and walk into something sharp is it the person who put the sharp objects there's fault or is it yours for not being more aware well in monokuma's opinion um it would probably be the person who put it there right because monokuma has said before that on this island um pretty much every death is murder right unless you like die of sickness or something i think he said um he said that before so he's like um i think the implication there is that anytime someone dies they have to find out who is the most responsible for that person's mm-hmm. death but it could be themselves right it could be exactly it's, i hear you absolutely that's a good point but, but it, the, it's like cases i think it's if it wasn't nekamaru then it had to be gundam you know what i mean and i think that monokuma would have wanted an execution you know i don't think he would have let it fly but i oh my god if gundam was like you know ha- actually had the intention to survive because i have as one of my notes that i don't think gundam had any intention of getting away with this but Maybe he did. Oh my god, that breaks my heart. I think it's interesting because in chapter two, we see that Monokuma is willing to consider people and objects and things as different than what they are. He's like, is Peko an object? I don't know. So I think he would have been very willing to consider the, pl- like the possibility that it was suicide. I guess that's it. Oh, no, wait. Um, so if that isn't true that Nekomaru did against his own will commit suicide where is the theme of suicide because so, we are told that that is the theme i don't th- I, I don't think we're necessarily I... told that because nagito says like oh cases 1 2 and 3 like he goes through what they had in common but then he was like i'll just have you know they ruled case 4 as a suicide but the third case he said it was a double murder but he has he has literally like the past to compare that to. But this it's like mm. I hear what you're saying, Maren, but I yeah. think that he was honestly just stating that it was ruled a suicide. And I think that after the second game's fourth trial, we then realize that the theme is sacrifice. That's interesting. But no, but I hear you though, because if it was a, the thing with like you know, Gundam set this up. Gundam, like, tied him to the doorknob. But, like, the actual cause of death, if that was a direct result of Nekomaru moving around and breaking off that doorknob, is that technically, you know, is Nekomaru responsible for his own death? I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, like, it it doesn't really matter in the end because, you know, Gundam is executed for the crime. <laughs> Don't remind me of the death! <laughs> But yeah, I do think it's interesting to kind of think on those themes. Yeah, definitely. So one general note that I have about this chapter is that I actually loved, loved, loved this murder case. Like, I thought it was just so interesting and so fun to solve. Like, it's just this mind-twisty kind of puzzle. And like, it gives you just enough to be able to like solve it on your own if you are really trying to piece it all together. But it's still like challenging enough that you know, your mind blown when it finally clicks. Um, like, I, I remember playing this and during my, like, one moment of re- revelation, 
during this trial, literally standing up in my living room and shouting, oh my God, it was an elevator. And like, my family was like, uh, you good? Um, <laughs> so I, I just thought it was clever, like so clever. I don't know how they come up with this stuff. Like, I wish I had that kind of brain where I could come up with like these super interesting, like just mysteries and puzzles and whatnot. But I will say that in my opinion, I think it was obvious from the get-go that it was Gundam because um, in the very beginning when Monokuma is giving the introduction to the fun house, he talks about the rooms and he says that the, the deluxe rooms are soundproof. And I was like, hmm, that's probably going to be important later. Let me keep track of who's staying in the soundproof rooms. And I did. And then later on when Gundam comes out at, with the alarm clock and he's like, what is this ruckus? I'm like, oh my God, Gundam, it was you, wasn't it? I did not pick up on that line but really I didn't hear it like I I read the line and I was like it's a nice room move on (laughs) yeah so I Um, didn't know yeah okay okay maybe I was just scrutinizing it a little bit too closely then um that it became obvious to me but like I thought it was fairly easy to figure out who but it was very difficult and it was very interesting to figure out how like, I feel like most of the time the goal is, the goal of the murder is to figure out who did it, who did it. But this time I, like, knew who did it all along, but it was like, how did he do it? You know what I mean? That is so real because, so I also had figured out pretty early on that it was Gundam and not because of anything of the clues. It, it was like, I, I have this Akane, like, quality to me where I have very strong gut feelings. You really do. You are yeah. spot on with your predictions Thank in you. these games. Um, yeah, I'm infamous for infamous for that. <laughs> I had a feeling that it was going to be Gundam who died in this chapter, who, who committed the murder, because I was pretty sure Nekumaru was going to be involved somehow. I wasn't quite sure how, but because of all the rules laid out in front of us, I was like, he's probably going to be the victim because his body has rules. And that is like, they love that. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. And so I had a feeling it was going to be Gundam because his personality is so big that I can't imagine him making it past this chapter, if that makes sense. Because it's like, he speaks in riddles. His chapter, like, in trials and stuff, like, he's such a an icon, but he provides very little actual substance of information. Like, sometimes he does. And I'm not saying he's stupid. I'm just saying he likes to, you know, be his Gundam self. And I, I didn't think that he was going to make it. I was like, if it's not Kazuichi, it's Gundam. Because I could have seen a version of this case where Kazuichi was the murderer because the mechanic killed the robot, which I think is a missed opportunity. I'm just saying because I love I people agree. use their talents in the murder. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, so the next thing I have is about how Gundam really calls me out. Uh, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, talking about like, you know, the 60-40 with the kids and all that. Um, but he said a line in here that really made me think. Um, and the quote is, um, if you say killing for the sake of living is evil, then what would you call giving up on life itself? And I really sat with that. I wrote down four quotes that he said that are all, they all like call outs on me in chapter six of Trigger Happy Havoc. Uh, what's the point of living if you're just waiting until you finally die? Giving up on life is an insult to life itself. Um, shall I continue? <laughs> and I just, it made me really think about like the kids in Trigger Happy Havoc and 
you know, I said like, why, you know, why believe Monokuma? You know, you didn't have to murder all these things. And I think an interesting way to take that is, is living in that place really living? Even if it's comfortable, even if you have everything you need, you know, you don't have to murder, but is that life? Is that really living? And um, we talked a little bit about this with Chris Tergliafera. He said, life without living isn't life. And I know that's redundant, but it does make sense. And so it was just, it was very interesting. Like, I really gained something from Gundam in this chapter. I think it, it was the perfect phrasing to get me to see a different take on a game that, I mean, I think all of our listeners can tell that I've been very passionate about, you know, like, you know, who's who's like um responsible and i think that it kind of takes away from the importance of who's responsible you know it's kind of like does that really matter in the end if what you're fighting for isn't really life like i don't know i just i really respect him i have something that i had a note about this but then um i something like huge 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 just clicked for me like in our conversation right now when Marin, I think it was you were talking about like the possibility of Gundam hoping that he might have been able to get away with it, not get away with it in that like nobody would have found out what happened, but the possibility of him maybe thinking there was a chance he wouldn't get executed for it. Oof, because that I think gives, I don't know if that is actually what was going through his head. We'll probably never know, but like, if you do view it through that lens, his whole parting message about not giving up makes so much more sense. And it's just like, oh my God, it hits you right in the heart. Because like, there is the question, that lingering question of like, if Gundam was going at it as just like, I'm going to sacrifice myself, I'm going to commit murder right now. And I know I'm going to die, but like, I'm going to do it because I want my friends to survive and not starve to death. If he did go into it with that attitude, why did he put up a fight throughout the whole trial until the end? Um, you know, why, why did he, why didn't he just come out immediately and say, guys, it was me, you know, like why go through the trouble? And it makes me think, you know, he was, he didn't want to give up. He didn't want to give up. And I think maybe there was a part of him that did want to survive. And maybe he thought that there was a chance he could survive with all the rest of the students and he didn't want to give up. And oh my God, I'm going to cry now. It's it's okay. It's fine. BRB is sobbing. Literally, I, I, I teared up a little at the end of this chapter. It always gets me. But I wanted to comment on that. I think that whatever side we go with here, whether he maybe thought Nekomaru would be the one to blame or himself, I think that when Marin was saying that it was either... Um, that he committed this murder or that it was like a duel to figure out like one, they sacrificed themselves basically the both of them. Um, I think that it was that they both sacrificed themselves because if, you know, he wanted to have an easy murder, he could have killed Fihiko who's a lot smaller than him, or he could have killed like one of the girls or whatever and i wouldn't have worked the same way and that the logistics would be different but he chose nekumaru who is an indestructible robot who like has superhuman abilities and so he he really put himself against someone who was a lot stronger than him in a lot of ways and so that's why i really really believe that it is him sacrificing himself and so 
Maddie, I agree. Like, why didn't he come up right, right at the beginning of the trial? Like, why didn't he say something? And I did think about that, but I will say like the entire trial is just them rolling through the stepping stones to get to the end. Like there's never a moment where like, they're like, Hmm, we're stumped. What's going on? Oh man, we can't figure it out. We will never know if he would have come forward and said something to tip them off to move to the next thing. I'm actually going to counter that in support of your argument. Um, he shows them that his hamsters can press buttons before the trial even begins. Yeah. He literally goes out of his way to prove that he committed the murder. And so I almost think that he did put those hints out there, even without flat out saying it, because he's he's Gundam. He is the supreme overlord of hell. Like, he's not going to go out and be like, guys, I murdered Nekomaru. He's going to show you and let you come to your own conclusions and be like, ah, darn, I lost. <laughs> I was going to say that it, like, it wouldn't have made sense for his character to admit it right away Gundam is not that kind of man and he stays true to himself until the moment he dies I agree with that a lot I will say I think that the hamster pushing button happened before the murder happened so I don't know if that but it could have been that it was already on his mind you know like that could have been and I also very strongly agree that he hints at it during the trial I think he actually is trying to help them along to the right answer and there is a moment where it's literally like the, the context of it is like they're trying to figure out what the ultimate weapon is, but he just comes out and he says, it was me. And you're like, wait, hold up. What? And he's like, I am the ultimate weapon because I wheeled my four dark devas Literally of destruction. at the beginning. Yeah. But the first thing he says was, it was me. And you're like, oh, that's funny, Gundam. Anyway, moving on. Like, it, <laughs> but really, I, I think to me that was like he was telling them, but he doesn't want, he doesn't know how to be straightforward, you know? Like he's always so cryptic about everything. And I, I think that's just him, you know, staying in character. But it was like, yeah, Gundam, it was you. <laughs> okay, so this whole theme at the end, and, and there are a lot of um, works of pop culture and of literature that talk about you know, don't give up on life. Like life is only worth living if you're living it, you know, and and not starving to death in a house of grapes and strawberries. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, lots of works. I won't go into a lot of detail, but I had to bring this up because Buffy is like a show that just defines a lot of my, like, like a lot of my morality in a lot of ways and a lot of the way I think about things. Um, And so this this quote, I don't give up on life, really, really reminded me of the themes in um, season five. I will not spoil much more than that, um, but it, this, you know, the theme of self-sacrifice so that others can can live a life is just really resonant with with me, with uh, with Buffy. So that's all I'll say. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, check it out. It's really good. Yeah, I feel like that's the quote. Wait, I wanted to comment on, so there are a couple possible quotes for this episode. One that I, I I liked, you cannot find peace without sacrifice anywhere. I really liked that one for, for like a possible title. Can I can I also elaborate on what he says before that, which like blew my mind when he says victory can only be built upon a foundation of corpses. I know, oh my god. Holy moly. Like that is a dark quote from Gundam. Ring a ding ding. <laughs> All right, so Next, I kind of want to talk about the execution because 
it's the most refined death I think we've seen in Danganronpa by far. Talk about someone who's willing to go to the grave. I mean, the moment that he has with the hamsters and... Uh, the devas. The devas of destruction. Not hamsters. They, they are gods, Marin. Yeah, yeah. Show my some bad, respect. My bad. <laughs> respect the devas. The, the moment with the four gods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he like the drawing in the sand is actually a reference to Full Metal Alchemist. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of cool. Just a little tidbit. But the main thing I wanted to talk about is that his ultimate punishment is going to heaven. I know. I, yeah. he's. I think he's the first one. Yeah. The Supreme Overlord of Hell has to go to heaven. He gets carried away to heaven by little baby animal angels. <laughs> yeah it's just such a it's such a juxtaposition i just love it so much and i think to me that's the proof at the ending yeah that he wasn't a murderer you know he it was either like you know it was well i think it was a duel i think it was like a takes two to tango sort of thing and he ended up coming on out on top as the victor of that duel um that nekomaru agreed to and I think that's the proof that he wasn't just a cold-blooded murderer. Well, want to talk about this uh, ending scene? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all I have is uh, Nagito basically goes to Monokuma and is like, hey, buddy, I want to work beyond your side. And Monokuma's like, haha, no, baby, I work alone. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just putting words I mean, That's pretty up. accurate, yeah. <laughs> um, but he says something very interesting. He says that his hope reminds him of that person, which I assumed, I mean, I assumed at this point in the game was Makoto. <laughs> yeah, who yeah. else would it be? You know, I yeah, mean... who else would that be? Yeah. Um, and he, and then Nagito says he wants to become the ultimate hope. So in that scene, we learn from the two of them when they're talking that the traitor is likely someone who went to Hope's Peak um, because in that book, there were no additional players that we did not know about. And then the other thing is that Monokuma is waiting for someone. Uh, and we don't know who, but Nagito is like, bro, who are you waiting on? And Monokuma starts sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, how does Nagito know that? Still, like, once again, there are things that Nagito knows that it's like, how does he know that? It's the file, ex machina. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, everybody, we're rolling into a bed wet bed over here, and we are going to be doing the sacrifice ease is the only word I could think of to describe all these people. So we have Sakura, we have Gundam, and we have Nekomaru. Um, yeah, for the sake of this, let's say Nekomaru in the flesh, not the not the metal. Yeah. Because <laughs> Nekomaru did already get beheaded. <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, poor guy. I have my answer. Yeah, I, I would probably, okay, so I'd be head Nekomaru. I know he is, okay, it, this is a tough one for me because all three of them, I love them all. But I know I said this in chapter one where I was kind of like, I can't visualize Nekomaru as like any kind of romantic partner for myself. Um, so he'd probably end up getting beheaded. Sorry, Nekomaru. The, the, the decision as far as wed versus bed for sakura versus gundam is a tough one it's a very tough one but y'all i love gundam with my whole heart and i want to be with him for my whole life i love him so much i'm gonna wed 
Gundam and I bed Sakura because I just, I love Gundam. I know that you shipped Sakura with me and that is iconic and I love Sakura and like, yes, I would marry Sakura in a heartbeat, but, but Gundam, I just love him. I love him so much. I'm getting emotional. It's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm not fine. Chapter four just hurts me. Mm. <laughs> okay. I would um, wed Nekamaru. Um, not Mekamaru. I would wed Nekamaru. Um, yeah. I think that he has a lot of positive traits that would kind of encourage me to be my best. And though we are very similar, you know, yeah, I I think that it would work out pretty well. I don't know. Yeah. That I would bed Gundam um, because that would be so interesting. Great time. And then I would behead Sakura because um, I was kind of between that and Nakamaru, but I think that I would prefer to wed Nakamaru than Sakura. I was going to say, how dare you behead Sakura? But then I was like, some, I mean, this, these three people, how do you choose? You know, <laughs> they're all like the purest <laughs> of the pure. Yeah, I know. Um, okay. So actually we all three have different answers, which is so cool. Okay. So I wow. will behead Nekamaru. Sorry, Nekamaru. I love him so much. I just not in this setting. I, I, I love Nekamaru, but I mean, more as a, more as a bro than a, than a special friend you know what I'm saying um and I would wed Sakura I think I know in the past I've beheaded her but I I've, I've turned around I, I I really like Sakura I think that we would vibe really really well um I think that she would help me through all my insecurities and she would see right through my fake confidence she'd be like oh yeah you're actually deeply insecure and I'm like yeah her abs could cut through the lies her abs <laughs> cut through the lies and soften my heart you know what I'm saying um mm. And then I would bed Gundam because I gotta know, man, what's going on there? <laughs> I just like love, love it. <laughs> All right, iconic. Oh man. All right, everybody, that is a wrap on chapter four. Let us know your thoughts about chapter four. Leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm. The link is in the episode description, along with our social media. We're on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, Ultra Hope Girls Pod, pretty much everywhere you can find us. And you can check us out on our website, ultrahopegirls.com, if you want to learn more about the three of us and what's coming up. And if you're able to support us on Patreon, we would so appreciate it. The lowest donation is only $2 a month, and you get a ton of cool episodes, including Maddie's Ultimate Psychologist Files, which are my personal fave, also along with Marin's Ultimate Nurse Files, which are also my personal fave. So, you know, we're out here faving each other's things. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) and yeah, I hope you all have a great day, and we will see you next week. Bye! Bye! Hi, everybody. Caroline here. I just want to give a little announcement that the Ultra Hope Girls are going to be taking a break these next two weeks. So we're going to be enjoying the holiday season with our family and friends as safe as possible during these times. Um, We'll be back January 4th with an episode with Brian Beacock, voice of Monokuma. So you have that to look forward to. Make sure you enjoy this season. I know it'll be a little different than before, but uh, celebrate with family, friends if you're able. And we just hope you all have a happy holidays.